Take your Bibles and open up to Matthew chapter 21, if you'd stand with me for the reading of God's Word. In Matthew chapter 21, I'm going to talk to you this morning about growing in giving, and that's going to be our theme for the month, but the message this morning is stewardship is management. Stewardship is management. In Matthew chapter 21, I want you to take a look at verses 33 and following. The Bible says, Jesus speaking, here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to a husbandman and went into a far country. When the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servant to the husbandman that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandman took the servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But the last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir, come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. When the Lord, therefore, of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? They say unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus saith unto him, Did ye never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to another, uh, and given to a nation, bringing forth fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard this parable, they perceived that he spake of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the service up to this point. And Lord, I do pray that as we look into your word this morning that you will touch our hearts and that you will give us Bible principles to be able to apply to our lives. Lord, I ask that you would help us as a church to be able to grow and to grow in grace and in the knowledge of you and help us to grow in the grace of giving. Help us to take a look at our own lives and to be challenged to take another step of faith. Father, we praise you for all that's been done. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I hope on your way in that you received one of these uh, booklets, and it's, uh, it's a little journal that will help you um, and challenge you in your giving over uh, these next few months. January is our stewardship month, and uh, I, I wanted to challenge you with a way to be able to track, almost like a, a habit tracker, for you to be able to track how you're doing 
in uh, your giving. And I hope that you'll take some time out today to be able to read through this. But you'll see on the inside there, it says a 90-day challenge on giving. Over the next 90 days, I would like all of us to focus on the theme of giving. I would like to see those who are not tithing to start being a doer. Those who are currently tithing, I would like to challenge you to increase your tithe by at least 5% this year. And I'm asking you, would you be a biblical Christian and commit with me to be a doer of the word? And then there's a little self-assessment here. It asks you, uh, how often do you give to God, weekly, monthly, or otherwise? What does the Bible say about how you should give to God? Sacrificial, leftovers, or other? And then the third question on this self-assessment is, what would have to be true in your life in order for you to fulfill the biblical mandate in the area of giving? And then there's three questions for you to be able to answer. What would have to change? Maybe there's something in your lifestyle that would have to change in order for you to be a biblical giver. You might have to adjust some priorities. What could stay the same? And what can you do today to make this happen? And so, and then on the inside, the next page, you'll find that there's a chart where you can put uh, the date and the amount that you have given to the work of the Lord. And I would encourage you to be able to keep this with you and to be able to utilize this over the next 90 days. It's the next uh, 12 weeks, if you will, on Sundays to be able to track your own uh, personal giving. As we take a look at this topic of giving... I I want us to understand that stewardship is management. Bertha Adams, she died like a pulper on March the 30th, 1975. She died of malnutrition. She was found in her dwelling place without heat, food, or the basic necessities of life. Now, if I was just to leave the story there, you would say, that's tragic, that's a shame. How could a person in America die of malnutrition? How could a person in this prosperous country die without heat or the basic necessities of life? Is there not some system or or somebody out there to be able to help Bertha Adams? But that's not the end of the story. See, in her possession were keys to uh, safety deposit boxes containing $799,000 in cash as well as hundreds of other valuables, negotiable stock certificates, bonds, and other certificates. See, Bertha Adams had a stewardship problem. She thought in terms of possessions to be saved and hoarded rather than to be used. See, her wrong view of stewardship cost her her life. I want you to understand this morning, stewardship is not about taking people's mo- uh, talking people out of money. Stewardship is not about, I'm not trying to talk you out of your money this morning. Stewardship is not about talking people out of money. It's teaching people how to use the money that they've been entrusted with properly. There's a right way to use money and there's a wrong way. 
And there are certain truths that this portion of Scripture teaches us about stewardship that will help you be a better manager. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to give you life skills to help you be a better manager from the Word of God with the money that God's entrusted to you. Number one, if you're taking notes, take the, your program. You can flip it on the back there, and there should be an outline for you. First of all, number one, you must change your view of stewardship. You must change your view of stewardship. Everybody has a paradigm that they look at life through. All of us do. And many times when, they, when somebody hears the topic of giving... They hear the topic of stewardship. They hear the topic of tithing. They think it's all, well, pastor's about fundraising. Letter A, stewardship is not fundraising. It's not. We're not fundraising to increase the bottom line of Open Bible Baptist Church. Though, if we apply biblical stewardship principles, it will increase. But that's not the reason why we're doing this. That's not the motivation of growing in giving. I am wanting to teach the people of God how God wants us corporately to spend the money that he's entrusted us, not just the 10%, not just the tithe, but all the money that we have in our possession. See, people misunderstand the, the term of stewardship because the term has been misused. Stewardship is money management. So you must change your view of stewardship. Stewardship, understand this morning, stewardship is not fundraising. But letter B, possessions are not permanent. Possessions are not permanent the reason that some people, when I'm mentioning this, and some of you in the pew right now, you are stewing over stewardship. <laughs> you're, stu you're oh no. Uh-oh. I don't know if I'm going to come back for the next 11 weeks now. Look, like, like Brother Richard said, you've been faithful all of 2020. Don't quit now. The reason people stew over stewardship is because they look at things as permanent assets that someone is trying to take away. The reason people stew over stewardship is because they look at things as permanent assets that someone's trying to take away. If this is your view of stewardship, no wonder you get upset. Because you think that you own it all. You think that it is yours. Look, we all know that possessions are not permanent. How many funerals have we had in here where the caskets laid out here? I have never, not once, with a casket laid out here, never once seen anybody with a trailer full of all their stuff going out the door with them. Not once. Why? Because possessions are not permanent. When you're down and out, when you're at the lowest point of low, what matters most to you? Not how much you have. Not of all the stuff around you. 
It's love from other people that you want. It's the intangible things that you want in life. It's not possessions. It's not like, man, I would feel so much better. My outlook on life would be so much better. My emotional state would be so much better if I just had all my toys around me. No, that's not the way you look at life. That's not the way I look at life. When you are down and out, what you want the most, especially as a believer, you want the presence of God in your life. You want the love of other believers with you. You want the encouragement of family around you. It's not say, well, if I got that 65-inch TV. See, we know the possessions are not permanent, but the problem is most people live like they are. Say, what do you mean? I, I don't live that way. Sure you do. When your wife moves your favorite fill-in-the-blank, you say, where did you put my... What happened to my... And she said, well, I threw it out because I didn't like... What? What did you do that for? I love that thing. We live like our possessions are permanent. See, the first truth that you must uh, uh, hold to is a proper view of stewardship. If you're going to grow in giving, you must have a proper view of stewardship. Secondly, this morning, you are to manage your treasures. You are to manage your treasures. Take a look at verse 33, if you would, of our text. Verse 33. Hear another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to husbands, husbandmen and went into a far country. You see what's happened? These husbandmen, they were blessed with many benefits. Letter A, you can fill this in. You are blessed with many benefits. This landowner, this, this, the owner of the vineyard, he blessed these tenant farmers with many benefits. They didn't do anything to deserve these benefits. They didn't provide to, to build the tower. They didn't provide to be able to dig the wine press. They didn't provide anything. All that they did was just show up and the landowner said, here you go. See, the story that Jesus told was to teach those he was speaking to, but it's also to teach us. And it's to teach us that we've been blessed with many benefits as believers. It's to teach us to manage what you and I have been entrusted with. In this, steward, in this story, there's the landowner or the householder, the Bible says, and workers or, or the husbandmen. We would call it a landowner, the householder, and then the, the, the workers, the husbandmen. The landowner, it represents God in this parable that Jesus is telling. And the workers, they represent us. And what we find is that the landowner provided everything that these workers needed. Do you realize that God has provided everything that you need? He's provided everything that you need. See, what we learn is that God owns it all. I want you to turn over to Psalm chapter 24. Our stewardship is to manage the possessions he gives to us 
for him. We are to manage the possession. Psalm chapter 24, if you would, please. We are to practically live out as believers. We're to practically live out that everything in this world belongs to God. Everything. Take a look at Psalm chapter 24, if you would, please. The earth is the Lord's. Not only the earth, but then it, it, it mentions the fullness or all the abundance, right? And the fullness thereof, the world... Now look at this. And they that dwell therein. God owns you. You dwell in the world, right? He owns you. God owns it all. We've been blessed with many benefits. Take a look at Psalm chapter 50, if you would, please. Psalm chapter 50. We're growing in giving. You and I, we are to manage our treasures Psalm chapter 50, take a look at verse, verses 10 through 12. Psalm chapter 50, for every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountain, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine, and here we go again, and the fullness thereof. Now turn over to the book of Haggai. The book of Haggai, that's almost to the completely end of the Old Testament. The book of Haggai, I want you to take a look at chapter 2 and verse 8. We are been blessed with many benefits, but we've got to understand that God owns it all. Haggai chapter 2 and verse 8. The Bible says, the silver is mine. And the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. You know, we can put in practical terms. Let's bring that up to 21st century. I understand it's talking about a futuristic time. I understand that about the temple and all that. But the principle is still the same. We bring it up to the 21st century. What is he saying? All your cash, all your stocks, all your bonds, all your investments, all your retirement, all your homes, all your cars are his. He owns it all. That's what the Bible says. See, God owns it all, but he has blessed us with a great deal. You say, well, man, I don't have that much. Well, wait a second. He's given us a mind to be able to think. You have a mind to be able to comprehend what I'm saying. Whether you like what I'm saying or not, that's not the issue. Again, you don't have to take that up with me. You can take it up with Jesus. <laughs> But that's not the issue. You have a mind to be able to comprehend what I am saying. You can process those thoughts. He's given us a mind. He's given us health to be able to get around. The reason that you're here this morning is because God's given you the health to be able to be here. A matter of fact, there's some of our folks that wish that they could be here this morning. He's given us the ability to get an education. He's given us the ability to earn a living. He's given us the ability to provide for our families. And he's given us the ability through the Lord Jesus Christ to come into a saving relationship with him. Amen. See, the point is that we're blessed with many benefits. And according to the Bible, we don't own anything around us. It's not ours. It's his. Do you realize 
We don't even own our own health or our own breath that we just breathed. God owns it all. You know what's pretty sad, though, for us as believers? We know it here, but we've got to apply it. Well, one, of the, one of the most wasteful things in the world is to have the potential that God has given you and not do anything with it. Listen, this morning, God has given all of us the potential to grow in giving. It doesn't matter where you're at. You say, well, I can't give as much as this person or I can't do as much as that. That's not the issue, number one. You shouldn't be comparing yourself with anybody else. The Bible says that's foolish. But you need to look at your own life and, 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 and maybe take this uh, booklet here and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to spend some time in prayer. And where would you have me to grow in my giving? Because you have the potential to grow. But if you don't do anything with it, what a waste. What a waste. You know, you'll find here in this parable that Jesus is telling, the landowner doesn't ask for ongoing reports. I mean, if I was in charge, if I was in charge, I would be asking for daily reports. I want to know, how many grapes do we bring in? How long did it take us? Can we become more efficient in bringing in these grapes? Who's pressing the grapes? How much wine do we get out of the grapes? Can we press them a little bit harder? Do we need some heavier people to press the grapes? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I would be asking for some serious reports. I want to see the graphs. I want to see the charts. I would have my dry eraser board up there. I would have my PowerPoints and all that kind of stuff. And I'd be, I'd be sketching this whole thing out. I'd want my reports. See the numbers. You know, God doesn't ask for a daily report just like this landowner didn't ask for a daily report. But that doesn't mean that we're not supposed to remember who owns it all. See, many times, because God doesn't ask for daily reports, we fall into the trap of out of sight, finish it with me, out of mind. See, because God's not saying, hey, it's Monday morning, I want to get my daily report. How much did you give to my kingdom? We end up saying, out of sight, out of mind. What happens is we start to see the treasure God has entrusted to us as ours. And we don't recognize his ownership. I, I really don't think that anybody's going around saying, no, God, no, God, no, this is mine, it's not yours. I, I don't want to believe that about our church. But what happens many times is we fall into that trap because we are so consumer-driven here. And I want this for me, and I need this, and I, I'm going to have this, and I'm going to go buy this, and this is what's mine. And We are so materialistic in our society. And therefore, we, st we stop remembering who owns it all. And we start to believe that it's really ours. Just because God is not on you about how you're managing his possessions does not mean that he does not care or that you will not be held responsible. See, you're to manage your treasures because you're blessed with many blessings, but let her be. 
Your heart is revealed at the harvest. Your heart is revealed at the harvest. We see this in verses 33, uh, 34 through 39. Uh, and, and you can see that in our text there. And I, will, I won't read it for a lack of time, but in our text it talks about these, uh, that the landowner does come back and there's a harvest time. What I find interesting, it's when the workers had nothing. It's when the workers had nothing that they agreed to rent the vineyard and give the owner a portion of the fruit. You know, as pastor, it's been interesting to observe the way people try to justify not being a good steward of what God has entrusted to them. I've heard people tell me, well, pastor, I just don't have enough money to give to God. I would challenge anybody to see if you could find that here this morning. Feel free. Would anybody like to come up? And I'm being very serious. I'm not being sarcastic. But feel free if anybody would like to come up and find a verse that says if you don't feel that you have enough money to give to God that you don't need to. Well, pastor, my income's very limited. Well, there was a the widow lady in the Bible. She didn't have Social Security. At least you've got that. And the Bible tells us about this widow lady who was getting ready to prepare because there was a drought throughout the land. There was no source of income for her. As a matter of fact, there was no welfare program for her. There was no Social Security. Nobody seemed to care for this lady. She had seemed to have no real friends whatsoever, or they were such destitute people at that time that they couldn't help her. And it says that she was preparing two sticks to give to her and her son to eat, and then they were going to die. Then the man of God comes bebopping in. And instead of going to the king, he doesn't go to the king, because I'm sure the king was still eating well. You know the way governments are. This is your health care system, but we're going to have our own. He didn't go to the king. He decided the Lord directed him to go to the widow lady. Now think about it. God could have directed him any way he wanted, but he put this in the Bible for a reason. And he goes to the widow lady, and he asks her what she's doing. She tells him, I'm preparing two sticks for me and my son to eat with a little bit of meal, and then we're preparing to die. And he says, okay, but before you do that, I want you to make me something to eat. And it's almost like she, you can hear her thinking, um, look, didn't you just hear what I said? You are a very insensitive preacher. You are a money-grubbing, non-caring for the widow preacher. You are so selfish. I cannot believe that that preacher expects even widow ladies or widow men, widowers, He said, if you do this, if you honor the Lord in this, God's going to bless you. Guess what? 
she honored what the man of God had told her that God had said. And God blessed her. See, many times we say we don't have enough money to give to God. Other times we say, if I had more, I would give more to God, but I just can't right now. When God gives me a little more preacher, I'll give more. I want you to turn over to Luke because you're contradicting the Word of God. Luke chapter 16. You will not give more when you have more. That's totally contrary to the Word of God. Take a look at Luke chapter 16. You can see it in the New Testament where um, Paul challenged uh, a group of believers to give, and it says, and they gave beyond themselves. They were extremely poor. It wasn't America. Take a look at Luke chapter 16. You will not give more when you have more if you don't give now what you do have. Luke chapter 16 and verse 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is in unjust in le the least is unjust also in much. You know what it's saying? If what you have is little but you give it to God, God can be able to bless you to be able to give more. He may or may not. But what it's saying is, you would be a trustworthy person with this. You can be entrusted to manage the treasure right. That's what it's saying. But if you say, well, I can't give more. I've only got this little bit. I can't give to God. I don't have that much. When God gives me more, then I'll give more. No, the Bible says you can't be trusted with it. See, your heart's revealed at the time of harvest. See, you're believing a lie that if you had more, you would give to the work of God. Uh, let, me, let me encourage you this morning. Look, if you and I, if we give rightfully what belongs to God, God will honor you. Even when I was in college and I didn't have any money, me and my wife, we were married, and we didn't have much money at all. I was working crazy hours. She was working. We're trying to do everything that we can to pay a college bill, to keep a roof over our head, to feed our stomachs, to keep heat in the house, air conditioning in the house, doing all those things. Every, every single Sunday, it didn't matter if the bills were met or not, we gave to the Lord. And by the way, we didn't run on credit card bills. We didn't go crazy. She wasn't shopping on QVC or uh, all this kind of stuff, getting this and getting that, and then saying, well, I just can't afford to give. Well, no wonder you can't afford to give. Amen. No, we didn't do that. We sacrificed. We sacrificed a great deal. We didn't go out to eat. You know how many vacations me and my wife have taken where we've gone away, and we, we've gone away. Two in 27 years of marriage. Why? Because the most important thing is not our family vacations. The most important thing is the work of God moving forward. And I'm not saying that because, because Open Bible does not take care of us. You folks take care of us very well. But my heart is to give to the work of the Lord. 
And whether I get raises here at Open Bible or I don't, we always increase our faith promise. We'll increase our tithe every year. Why? Because it's the work of the Lord that matters. Possessions don't matter. They, it is not my money. It is not my house. It is not my car. It is His. And so if He chooses to continue to bless, that's wonderful. If He chooses to take it away, that's okay. Why? Because He is in total control. I am to manage. I am to be the steward of what He's given to me. What happens is that too many people... When God does bless, their blessings become a stumbling block. As the harvest got plentiful, the workers became increasingly possessive of the fruit. And they actually believed that they had a right to it all. Verse 38, it's the heir. Come, let us kill him, kill him and take his inheritance. They actually believed that they had a right to the inheritance. You're to manage your treasures. You're blessed with many benefits. Your heart is revealed at the harvest. Take a look here, letter C. Your accountability to God is inescapable. Your accountability to God is inescapable. Verses 40 and 41, take a look back at our uh, key text, Matthew chapter uh, 21 and verse 40. And when the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do to those un, uh, to, unto those husbandmen? These are, this is scribes and Pharisees talking in verse 41. They said then, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. It is certain that all of us will give an account to God for how we've managed his possessions that he has entrusted to us. Take, uh, turn over to 2 Corinthians, if you would, please. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. As you're turning there, in verse 40, it doesn't say if the landowner comes. It says when the landowner comes. Remember, who's the landowner? God. So what's happening is God is asking, Jesus is giving this parable and he's asking for an account. All of us will stand before God and give an account. Take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. Your accountability to God is inescapable. One of the issues that we will be judged on will be how we manage what God entrusted to us, whether it be good or bad. He's going to, hey, it talks about here in, in this, this text, we got to appear before God, the judgment seat, that everyone may receive the things done in his body. What are, you do or what are you doing? When you give to God, you are worshiping. That's something that you do. That's something that you and I will give an account for at the judgment seat of Christ. You never have to worry about me. I don't look at tithing records. I don't look at who gives. There's only two groups of people that I look at who gives. Number one, I look at the leadership in the church. I look at the staff. To be quite honest with you, 
a staff man or woman does not belong in that position if they're not giving to the work of the Lord. And that to me is grounds for termination. If things don't get corrected, obviously you give grace and you say, let's be able to correct these things. The other group of people are deacons. I don't think that you ought to be a deacon and help lead spiritually uh, and serving the church if you're, not, if you're not tithing. How can you encourage others to do what's right if you're not doing what's right yourself? But that's the only two groups of people. I don't check the choir. I, I don't check the Sunday school teachers. I don't check anybody. I don't check the regular, just regular attenders. No. So you don't have to worry about, well, I wonder if Pastor Riddell is going to start. No, I, I, I don't check that. I don't check that. Matter of fact, what would it matter anyway because I can't force you to give. You've got a greater one to answer to than Pastor Riddell. I'm not going to come knocking on your door. Hey, Brother Buford, I just want to let you know you're behind on your tithes and offerings. I'm here to collect. <laughs> That's not the way it works. See, you're accountable to God. Your accountability to God is inescapable. And then letter D, your stewardship. Your stewardship is directly related to how close you are to God. That's a pretty strong statement. Your stewardship is directly related to how close you are to God. I want you to turn over to Luke chapter 12, if you would, please. Luke chapter 12. See, God is characterized by giving, which is an expansion of his love. God is characterized by giving. In John chapter 3 and verse 16, probably the most famous verse in all of the Bible, what? For God so loved the world that he kept. He gave his most prized possession. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the only unique son. He didn't hold back anything. See, God is characterized by giving, which is an expression of his love. And our giving shows who or what is a priority in our life. That's why I said your stewardship is directly related to how close you are to God. Take a look at Luke chapter 12 and verse uh, 15. And he said unto them, this is Jesus speaking, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. See, your giving shows who or what is a priority in your life. You've heard it said before, show me your checkbook and I'll show you your priorities. Matthew chapter 6, if you would. This will be our last text this morning. Matthew chapter 6. Your giving shows your love for God and for others. It reveals your heart. Your stewardship is directly related to how close you are to God. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. 
Jesus speaking here, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Your giving shows your love for God and for others. It reveals your heart. You have a little chart there, side by side, at the end, as we wrap this up. And I want you to ask yourself, what side of the chart are you on? What characterizes, let's put it this way, what characterizes your attitude towards stewardship? On the left-hand side, you can put in there, I am a manager. I am a manager. It's not going to flash up on the screen, so you just have to listen to me. I'm sorry, 21st century people. I'm sorry. You're actually going to have to listen to me. <laughs> I am a manager on the left-hand side. On the right-hand side, or does this characterize your attitude? I am an owner. Which one characterizes your attitude? I am a manager or I am an owner? How about the next line? I am thankful. I am proud. What characterizes your attitude when it comes to stewardship? The third line. The master's kingdom. Is that what stewardship's all about? Or my personal kingdom? Is that your attitude? Is that my attitude? The fourth line. Things are transient. Is that your attitude? Is that what characterizes you as a believer when it comes to what God has entrusted to you? Or is it things are permanent? The last line. I want to please God. Or does this characterize your attitude? I want to please myself. I've said this to you before, but the American dream and biblical Christianity just don't mix. They collide. They just don't mix. So do I want to please God or do I want to please myself? You say, Pastor, what are the take-home truths for me today? Number one, remember this, God owns it all. Change your view of stewardship. You say, Pastor, I felt uncomfortable a little bit about this. I've never heard this. I'm surprised that this is really, I've been visiting this church and this is the first time that I've heard something like this and you, you can preach this without even batting an eye. It doesn't bother you. No, it doesn't. Why? Because it's in the Word of God. But remember, we all need to remember that God owns it all. The second take-home truth for us to remember is that God expects a return. God expects a return. 
the fourth truth, and we see it in verse 41, and you can read that later to check me out, to make sure I'm right. Because you ought to be doing that. You ought to be searching the Scriptures like the Bereans. But the third take-home truth is we eventually lose what we keep selfishly. Verse 41. It says that he destroyed all those husbandmen and gave it to another. We eventually lose what we try and keep selfishly. And then number four, judgment. One of the bases for it is stewardship. Judgment is based on stewardship. God doesn't ask you to do anything that he hasn't already done. The greatest giver is God. For he has given us his one and only son. To be able to take something from you, yes. If you don't know Christ, your personal savior, God wants to take something from me, yes he does. And he wants to take it with a vengeance. Really? Yes. He wants to take all your sins away. And he wants to give you something in return for it. Not only does he want to give you Jesus Christ, salvation, but he wants you to be able to have a relationship with him. I'm not a salesman, but that doesn't sound like a pretty bad deal to me. Sounds pretty good. Two for one, right? This morning, will you commit to being a steward that manages to grow in giving? Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. How many this morning would be able to say with every head bowed and every eye closed, Pastor, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that God gave His only begotten, His unique Son, His one and only unique Son to die on the cross for me, to save me from my sins so that my relationship with Him can be restored. I've accepted that gift. I'm so thankful that He gave. If you say, Pastor, that's me, I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, would you please slip up your hand with mine and say, Pastor, I know that. Just put your hand up if you would, please. God bless you. You can put your hands down. Is there anyone in here this morning who say, Pastor, I'm not quite sure if life were to cease in my body if I would go to be with the Lord? I don't know that. I don't know that I've accepted that gift. Would you please pray for me? Is there anybody like that? Just slip up your hand so I could pray for you. Say, Pastor, would you please pray for me? Just put your hand up so I could pray for you. By your own testimony, everyone in here saying they know the Lord, would you please stand, if you would please, with every head bowed and every eye closed?